This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance, not in the Crawl Space studios in Wormtown, but working remotely. Lance, how are you today? I am uh, doing very well, feeling healthy, not experiencing any symptoms uh, at all. How are you today? Well, that is good to hear. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the coronavirus and uh, the fear that uh, that is out there about it and about um, getting sick. It's it's a virus that is spreading rapidly. I'm doing all right, Lance. I am terrified of getting it, to be honest, uh, just mostly because I have asthma and have had asthma my entire life. So I'm quarantining myself, and uh, I feel good about it. And uh, I think anyone who has the ability to do so should also do that. Um, while I recognize a lot of people have to go to work, and I want to give a special shout out to the people who do, like the people in the medical field, people, even the people in the service industry. They're uh, they're keeping keeping everyone fed. Uh, people in grocery stores, things like that. Those are all people that have to go to work and are sort of vital at this point in uh, American life. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, right now we have to deal with uh, people from. Uh all sorts of industries that you mentioned the service industry, there's a the hospitality industry. There's a lot of people who are currently out of work, like for real, like for a month. Um, yeah. and uh, it came down within maybe a 24 hour notice. And, and then they just, they went from having a job to not having a job for at least a month that, that we know of. And also there's, there's many establishments that might not have the financial capability to bounce back from something like this. There's, there's a lot of establishments that could, something like this could could shut them down for good and uh you know this is uh an interesting time we live in and it's a defining time as well we'll see how everybody bounces back from this in june or july but uh you know hopefully yeah we don't really know yeah hopefully it uh hopefully it's hopefully it runs its course and and we're able to figure out um how this is uh going to be contained yeah one thing we do know though lance is that we will be here um doing what we do um, because I think, well, luckily, really, uh, we're not uh, super affected by this. Um, so, I mean, we just want to give a big thank you to everyone who's listening to the show and uh, still here with us. We're actually going to start doing some live shows. I think they're going to be on YouTube. We're figuring out the technical details behind the scenes, but we're going to do some some live shows. So we're going to bring you an extra episode a week. Um, really just want to interact with the audience, you know, you, you folks out there. And want to hear from you. I mean, honestly, like I'm stuck in. Like I want to be social at this time. I need to connect. If if anyone's been, um, you know, monitoring my uh, my Twitter feed, I'm way more active now because I, it's just uh, I feel like sharing. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And and 
we're looking at what we're doing here and and we don't have a job that puts us out in the in the public or in in front of people we're not we're not putting people at risk we're not at risk if we continue to do the job and as long as people are home and they are working remotely working from their home office it's uh it's something that we can provide to them you know we're able to do this so we might as well throw on another show uh while we're able to do it and 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 uh you know and help people get through it you were just giving a couple of shout outs to some businesses and i i don't want to miss the opportunity to say a, a shout out to this is going to sound weird a shout out to thermo fisher they are aiming to produce five million tests a week by april which is extremely good news well, any good news now is uh, is reason to celebrate because uh, just about every news article, the picture gets more and more grim. So we would love uh, more good news. So that that's great. Yep. 1.5 million in stock. They're aiming for 2 million a week and then 5 million starting in April. Okay. Well, Lance, for this episode today, we have number seven in our series on the unsolved murder of Sheila Shepard from 1980 in Saratoga Springs, New York. Yep. We keep uh, pumping out these episodes on Sheila Shepard because our time there in New York that we spent with the investigators, uh, the current investigators, and now the uh, one of the, the former investigators, the original investigator, one of them, the story just keeps playing out. Yeah, we've recorded a little bit more with this fellow, Tom Mitchell. He is one of the original investigators, worked the case from day one. And so we were lucky enough to have him for like an hour and a half. So we uh, we talked with him. And so what we're going to play in this episode is the first part of that interview. And it's kind of a wide-ranging conversation. And it's really interesting, especially if you've listened to the other episodes where there is some, I don't want to say conflicting information, maybe a little bit as far as conflicting from maybe some of our speculations, Lance, but... It seems like what we find uh, here is like exactly what we've always talked about, where it's kind of like a battle of new school policy, like law enforcement officers, investigators versus like an old school approach that Tom Mitchell has. And so it's kind of interesting to see it play out right in front of us. Oh, yeah, for real. I mean, you could see from Tom's expression uh, some uh, some apprehension when he realized how much information we were being shown and how much access we had. He wasn't by any means hostile, but he uh, was one way before the interview and he was old school police officer investigator Tom Mitchell during the interview. Uh, there was a, there was a lot of answers that he gave us off the record, um, but not to say that he didn't provide information on the record. Uh, but there was a definite line in the sand that was drawn once the uh, recorder started. Yeah, it's it's almost like it. in listening back, it kind of plays out a little bit like a game of Clue or it yeah. like reminds me of such when we're questioning Tom because it's like, okay, well, if this is true and that's true, then this must be true. And he's like, well, I'm not saying that. You know, so you kind of have to take the answers and piece it together for yourself. But it, it makes for an interesting mental exercise for sure. And part of the information that we were given access to by the investigators Callahan and Wilson is a early John Douglas profile of the killer of Sheila Shepard, which he put together very shortly after her murder. And it was there on the table. It was almost like looking at sort of a like a relic, like a Holy Grail type uh, item there. And as interesting as it was for us to just be in the presence of this document, we 
were able to hear Tom Mitchell's experience as he uh, worked with John on this. That's right. Yeah. And John Douglas, of course, is uh, the guy behind the show Mind Hunter on Netflix. And uh, was really one of the first people who even did a profile on a killer, you know, so th- so I think he's sort of regarded as like a godfather in this industry to some degree. And one of the things we're actually trying to do, Lance, is get him back to review this file again, because I feel like if he looks at it now after having gone his his own separate way and, and learned uh, much more about his profession in the 40 years since he wrote this original profile... Imagine how much he can add to it now. Right. Uh, It would be really fascinating just to see him going through his old work. And we know that he does that. We're we're aware that he does put himself out there at times to uh, contribute to a case that is still unsolved. And this seems like a very solvable one. And it seems pretty timely. Yeah, so John, if you're listening, give us an email at crawlspacepodcast at gmail.com. We know you're listening. And uh, we are trying to reach reach out to him. But if anyone has any direct contact, that would be great. Okay, cool. So here is the interview with investigator Tom Mitchell. And we'll be back with an outro to this interview. How's it going, Tom? Thanks for coming down. You're welcome. And, um, so your involvement in uh, Sheila Shepard's case, what was that? And uh, what was your position um, in, uh, in the police department? I was uh, an investigator at the time when this occurred, and I was one of the investigators that uh, was involved in the investigation into the crime. How long did you work on it? Until I retired in 1996. So 16, 16 years? Yes. How often were you uh, revisiting it? Uh, it depended on uh, whether new information came in, whether it be uh, you know someone telling us, providing information, or exploring something that had occurred elsewhere that may have a connection. Okay. Does this case stick with you? Yes, it does. Is it because of the fact that it's unsolved? Is it? What's well, a combination of things? You know that I was a part of the initial investigation. I knew the family. I knew the victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm from Saratoga Springs. I raised my family there um, and spent almost 30 years with the police department. You knew Sheila? You met her? I knew of her, yes. Yeah. I knew her as a young child. I didn't know her as she got older, but okay. I knew her parents. Uh, when did you get the call about it? When did you first hear about it? I was working the evening shift, so I hadn't come on duty yet. Mm-hmm. I got a call at home uh, being called into duty to assist in the investigation at the scene. And what did you think when you got there? Uh, that uh, we had a homicide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it was the very early stages. Uh, the body was still there. The coroner hadn't arrived yet. Uh, preliminary things were being done, the photographing and uh, identifying evidence. So that was on Tuesday or Wednesday? I believe she was discovered on a Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, that would would have been the day she was discovered. Oh, so you... you uh, you were there the the day she was discovered. Yes. Okay. I was called in. Okay. Other officer has officers had been there prior to my arrival, but I I was called in and joined into the investigation. Okay. Is anything weird about the crime scene other than there, obviously oh. there's a a victim? Uh, there were some things that were unusual. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, um, 
situation that you would expect, and by that I mean that you know there wasn't knife wounds other than there was a knife present, but it wasn't there was nothing to suggest that it had been a, a stabbing that caused this death. Mm -hmm. How, what was your experience with crime scenes up until that point? Uh, I had, you know, at that point, since 1980, I had uh, a dozen or more years uh, experience in the police department. I had been involved in other crimes and investigations. Uh, it's a small city, so there weren't a lot of homicides, mm -hmm. fortunately, and it remains that way today. Were you a detective then? I was. In, we were called investigators. Oh, okay. Same difference, uh, but we were investigators. I was an investigator, yes. What's your first step when you get, go onto a scene? Like well, this that. had already been started, so yeah. I was just joining in the process. Uh, normally, with you know, uh, make sure it's secured, mm -hmm. uh, notify the, the ranking officers above you, uh, get a hold of a medical examiner or a coroner, um, depending on the circumstances. Have you worked on other murder investigations before? I don't think I had at that point. Okay, and looking back at your career. Does that one stand out as far as the crime scene and everything, as far as it being a murder investigation? It's different than the, than the norm. Yeah, because of the post-mortem wounds? Well, the, a number of things. You know, yeah. The way the, the body was left, uh -huh. uh, the report of the after-death stabbing, uh, the actual cause of death, um, those are different than usual. Uh, what did you think the cause of death was? It was reported by the uh, coroner's office that it was uh, asphyxiation due to the uh, gag to the mouth. Okay. The gag which we saw, and it was that right fabric. Yeah, it would have been the same one that would have been present when investigators show up at the time. So that, that was the thing that killed her? Yes. Your timeline of uh, her life before her murder, is it the same as what these gentlemen are working off of? I, I would believe so, yes. Yeah. You know, it, she was last seen uh, on Saturday, for sure, and after that it becomes a little cloudy. Last seen by her mother? Correct. What time? I believe that was in the afternoon. I don't recall the time of that, but we did have uh, and found at the scene a uh, cash register receipt from a local supermarket that indicated that uh, purchases had been made that evening. Mm -hmm. um, and we have witnesses on the street that report seeing her headed in a downtown direction also that evening. But after that, it's debatable as to the accuracy. Just because of Saturday night in the city and... Well, not so much that. It, you know, not that many people had seen her, obviously, or we'd have had more information. It, yeah. you know, people that thought they saw her one day, and in fact, yeah. turned out to be a different day. That's an act that actually happened. Yes. As far as the crime scene, uh, did she? Do you believe she had consensual sex before, or is that was that able to be proven? Or? There was no indication of that. So they, we don't know if if she had consensual sex or not before, or we don't know. Okay, but she definitely wasn't assaulted um, and raped. There was no evidence to lead you to believe that. Okay. Uh, the store that we saw the um, the receipt at, that's Grand Union? It was a Grand Union supermarket. Okay. They were a, muse um, a supermarket chain in, in the Northeast back at that time frame. They have since gone out of business. And that was walking distance from her place? 
Yes, it would be along a route between her, her parents' apartment and hers at uh, the opposite end of town. And how, how soon after all of this did her um, ex-husband, uh, you said that he, volunteer, he voluntarily came in to be questioned? Yes. How, how soon after? I, I don't have the exact time, but it was within a day or two. We, we made contact with him, requested that he come, and he did. Okay. And he was okay? He was, uh, I mean, other than probably... No, he was upset, upset over yeah. the loss, but other than that, he was fine. And you questioned him and you cleared him pretty much immediately? Or was there a time? Uh, I wouldn't say we cleared him immediately. Okay. Uh, his, you know, alibi, we'll say, was, you know, proven to be correct. Um, his demeanor was appropriate. Um, but at that stage, he certainly no one had been uh, either eliminated or strongly considered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing taken from the apartment? The only thing that's been like reported as missing is the photographs, right? Keys. Uh, I'd rather not comment what what is missing from the apartment, if anything. Okay. Did you walk into the apartment and think that there had been any forced entry at all? There was no evidence of that. And that was, because I imagine it'd be obvious. Well, if they had to make a forcible entry, it would yeah. be obvious. If, if it were an unlocked door and person invited in, yeah. then there wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and the, you know there was no evidence to support those theories. Do you think this is someone who was familiar to Sheila? Most definitely. Yeah, someone who knew her and she knew them. Have you ever um, entertained the idea that someone was waiting there for? Her? There was no evidence to support that either. Uh, you know, you expect if, if this was a planned event that there, there, were, you know, there would be some resistance on her part, uh, and there was nothing to suggest that. And was she left-handed or right-handed? I recently read, I believe she was right-handed, but I, I can't be 100% sure. And how busy was the street back then? Because we were out there the other day, and it was we had like trucks going by. And well, Saratoga was... has changed dramatically yeah. in that many years. I mean, it was a small town. Uh, the population was dramatically less. There were more vacant lots than there were bar rooms now. Yeah. And the same thing as far as you know the development. Uh, there's very little free space, and there's a lot more traffic all the time. Mm. What about the uh, Cool Whip? Is there, uh, how, do, how do you feel about, um, about the Cool Whip? Do you, it was found in the sink? Was it? Uh, again, I'd, I'd rather, really rather not discuss too much about what was found in the apartment. Okay. There was an account that was pretty uh, fascinating <clears throat> where someone saw flashlights or reported that there was a flashlight uh, in the apartment. How, how many days after? Was that like? Uh, that weekend. It was the, she found on the Tuesday the 25th, it was the 28th. There was a report, uh, Dan Jewett and somebody else go to the apartment. Somebody reported walking by, they see flashlights. They think there's flashlights inside. Yeah, um, I, I believe I was on due that night, and I, I was there also, and that was unfounded. Okay, nothing to it. Unfounded meaning, like you didn't find any evidence that anyone had been in the apartment. It was locked when we got there, and there was no no indication anyone had been in there. 
Okay. What, what, now, what about the keys, though? I don't know if you want to talk about the keys, but um, there were keys missing. When that, that again is uh, you know something I'd rather not talk about. It's not confirmed that there were or were not keys missing. Right. Okay. Tell me you don't want to talk about it if you want, but uh, so were there keys that were turned in that might be hers? No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Yeah, you uh, you spoke with John Douglas, and he had a profile done? He performed the profile, yes. Yeah, um, yeah I'd love to take a look at that and um, sort of ask you uh, about your recollection of that. Um, you know the protocol on those release of that information? Um, no, that's... I would check. If you just want to talk author. about your... Okay. I can talk about my involvement, but as okay. far as... Yeah, that's that's fine. That's We've kind of left that to um, to however you wanted to, okay. to handle that when you came in, since you were actually there mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, we won't get into, like... Yeah, I don't know if that was anything... Parts of it were made public, and I don't know about... Mm-hmm its entirety. I don't believe it was. Okay. How much did you know about what he did at the time? What? Uh, what John Douglas did. We, I, I guess my real question is, how did, how did you meet him and how did the topic come up? We, we presented the facts of our case and submitted it to the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit for their study to assist us in our investigation. Uh, Special Agent Douglas was the behavior scientist that uh, performed our analysis and reported back to us. Uh, and we explored the things that he presented as, as potential leads that w- could be helpful. Uh, there came a time when I was a student at the FBI National Academy, and during my attendance, I sat down with him and we reviewed our file and his findings. And that was like proven to be pretty helpful, or was it, was uh, it honestly, was it something you read and you were like, I kind of knew this already? There were parts that, you know, were expected, yeah. and, and there were other parts that were most helpful and remained to be helpful. Cool. Cool. Did, did you guys, like, want to get the FBI involved from the beginning? It was a relatively new approach at, okay. at that time. Uh, and I believe we were you know, made aware of it by perhaps a local FBI agent or uh, state police or someone had... Uh, suggested it, and we took advantage of it. Okay. Okay, you took advantage of it. So how does how does that, what's the process? There's a, a form that has to be completed. You know, you present the facts of your case uh, to meet the criteria to perform the analysis. Mm-hmm. And then how soon after, um, how soon after her body was discovered did they uh, become involved? I couldn't give you exact time, but it was within a reasonable amount of time. I, I don't know whether it was weeks or perhaps a month, but I, I, I'm not sure. But it wasn't very long. Did the holidays kind of like? Well, they throw they a, played a role. Yeah. For for example, I mean, uh, you know, she's discovered just a couple of days before Thanksgiving. So yep. you know, people are on the move; they're not home and so forth. I remember you know, conducting street uh, canvases looking for. You know any information we could get, and you know virtually every place we went, there was no response because of the holiday. Mm-hmm. And then we obviously we went from Thanksgiving into the Christmas and New Year holidays. So um, I'm sure that played a role in in getting a response on that uh, analysis. 
Is it your belief, or do you, was it the profile's belief that the, the killer would be would it have involved himself in the investigation in some way? I'm not sure that that came from uh, from that profile, uh, but that had been explored and and suggested along the the lines. Is that something that you believe to be true? It's hard to say. Do you have an idea on who you think it is? Like, do you are you down to one or two or three people? Or? <laughs> I wish I did. We yeah. wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was there ever a time where, like, when you were getting information and you were interviewing people, did you think you had the person? There were, you know, there were persons considered more so than others, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously, you know, we never had enough to come to a conclusion. Do you still um, check in with these guys and go over some of the... Yes, quite regularly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I've met with uh, investigators before these two gentlemen were yeah. involved in the case. So, so I've stayed actively involved you know, over the years. Uh, what do you do now? I'm a private fire investigator. Like arson and stuff, or just fires? And I investigate stuff. fires for insurance companies. That's cool. Um, did you ever do stuff like that with the uh, the department? That's where I got my foundation and for my second career. Okay, gotcha. Uh, did these guys ever reach out to you and say who, who should we talk to? Yes. You guys have overlapping interviews. Oh, yeah, certainly. That's that's kind of that was the first thing I did when I got the case was reading through and then kind of go back and try to re-interview you know the people that were were talked to at the time were persons of interest and I think Tom's the first one that I interviewed was talked to him as he had the the most involvement it looked like and the the most case narratives and things so the first thing we did was had him in for I think I said it would be quick but I think it ended up being three plus hours of just well how about how about this tip or how about this idea or what about this person or is this a wild goose chase or a waste of time and um, I know I've and I've called a couple of different times or just something will pop up and say like you know do you remember this or what do you think about about that so yeah, yeah Tom's been a great resource definitely it's, your your memory is impressive of, of you know events and details from almost 40 years ago for, now for quite a while yeah it's not yeah you're still living it yeah but directly involved with it for 16 years right at least. Yes. Yeah. So is there anything you can tell us that has been ruled out in your mind or in for the case? Not that I can think of. I mean, it's just an open case, so all all things are out there for consideration. Yeah. Her husband is basically ruled out, though. Her ex-husband. He did come immediately when we re- requested that he do so. His interview went well. Uh, his story checked out right up immediately after we had interviewed him. We went to where he was living, you know, and confirmed his whereabouts. Uh, and we had, over the years, never developed anything to suggest that you know, we missed something along those lines. And unfortunately, now he's no longer with us. So he has a solid alibi that's been checked out, and he was at least five or six hours away at the time. Yes. <clears throat> And you feel comfortable with the um, the alibi and and the people who, yes, and com- combined with with his demeanor when when he was interviewed, you know, early on in the best investigation, uh, he, you know, his response would be as I would expect it to be. You know, he's what 
you, you've mentioned that a couple times. So w- what would it have looked like if it didn't go that uh, way? I, you know, sometimes in this situation, uh, a person that's being considered might become hostile mm-hmm. and, and not want to talk for whatever reasons mm-hmm. or, you know, something along those lines. Uh, he seemed to be straightforward and had nothing to hide. Were there other people that you interviewed that were not that way? Uh, there were other people interviewed that were off and on cooperative. Do you consider them persons of interest? Mm, possibly. These locals? They were at the time. Okay. So how many, how many people, f- four or five, that you think mm. they could be... Uh, I can't put a number on it, but there were there were pre- people that were considered for one reason or another and, and not totally eliminated as a person of interest. So you believe that you spoke to the killer of Sheila? I wouldn't go that far. But you believe the person was interviewed? I wouldn't say that either. It's just okay. that the, the, there were there were people that were questioned that still c- could be considered. They, they haven't been eliminated. Mm-hmm. Who was the person that um, first contacted her ex-husband about it? That I don't recall whether, whether I did that myself or Lieutenant King. Um, but it was either one or the other that made that contact. Um, it may have been myself, but I don't recall. So there wasn't anything significant that um, stood out? Because I can't, like, I'm just, I can't imagine the phone call to an ex-husband about this is yeah, easy to do. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure that I made it. Mm-hmm. That's something I, I think I would remember because it would be. It's one of those yeah. difficult things you do as a police officer, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Irregardless of what their, you know, marital status was at the time, it's, it's a loss of a family member. Mm-hmm. And when you first met him, he was uh, completely uh, cooperative? Yes. Was he sober? Yes. Uh, so you believe the killer was known to Sheila, but you're not sure that you interviewed this this person. That would be correct. So how many people do you know, I guess, that were out there that weren't on your guys' radar? Mm-hmm. Like, that she might have known? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I guess, how many people did she know that no one else knew and told you about? That's hard to say, yeah. but it seems though, you know, with their inner circle and family that, you know, anyone that was somehow connected to her, we became aware of mm-hmm. and, uh, and were able to, you know, question them, verify what they had told us, if, you know, if we could. Um, but yeah, there, there certainly could be somebody out there that we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that could be the problem. That yeah. It's the unknown. But it seems as though it was someone she knew that would be invited into her home. What was your first uh, impression when you saw that she was stabbed and it was postmortem? Well, at that time we didn't know it wasn't that it was you know after death, but it just the whole situation just didn't fit what you would expect in that type of a crime. So when you came into the scene and you said that it wasn't. Uh, what you'd expect with that type of a crime. What type of a crime did you did well, what, you see when you first walked when in? When I was first called in, you know, I only had you know, what I was told over the telephone that oh. I needed to be there because there had been a, a homicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in, until you actually see the scene, you don't know what it's all about. Yep. And with this particular scene, it, the difference with what you might anticipate was uh, there was no sign of a struggle. Mm -hmm. The apartment was relatively neat, as though it just something totally unusual took place. Um, and then, you know, the things that were found as a result of it, how, how she was left. Okay, so it was more like the closer you looked at it from yeah, that I mean, point it's, forward. It, it, it doesn't started. fit the normal, you know, revenge yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or temper or, yeah. or something of that nature. That was another thing that, in my mind, uh, relieved the, the estranged husband, too, is uh, you know, there, was, there was no you know, indication that this was because someone was mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah or fighting or anything of that nature. Is the post-mortem stab wounds, is, is or wound, is that something you've seen before or since? I had not. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, and it was considered to be unusual by most people in this field. Was that something that John Douglas keyed in on? Uh, it was one of his considerations. Does that mean to him that it was a person, was it was that like, Indicative of some kind of misdirection attempt. That I don't know. Yeah, right. Because then it's we were talking about that before, where it's like, well, you could consider that it was misdirection, right? Or they were you just could, trying you to could confuse. speculate yeah. that it's, you know something went horribly wrong. But uh, if that were the case, uh, they went to great lengths to make it look totally different. Yeah. Did does it strike you as like an accidental death, and then? They wanted to make it look like a homicide for some it, reason. That could be considered. But why would someone do that? You know, like this was we we batted that around too. Like, why would someone, if they, if they were in her presence and it was an accidental death, I guess she didn't have a phone there. But you could go to a pain phone. Like you could try to get help. It's weird that you would wait that long to put a knife in someone's stomach to make it look like a, a homicide. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what makes this case yeah. so unusual. Yeah, and and the time spent with the victim after she was dead is uh, seems very unusual to me too. Because what we had been talking about was it takes time for the blood to stop actually, like, pumping through your body, and there's right. no blood. I mean, I mean that's how the conclusion was drawn mm -hmm. that this is post mortem stabbing. Yeah. When did you find out about that? Well, the, there was no evidence that that this took place as part of the original crime. Yeah. Uh, and then it was verified through autopsy. Was there ever a thought in your head that she wasn't killed there? It was considered, but again, there wasn't evidence to support that it happened anywhere but there. Right, right. And you guys have never, have you guys ever thought that? No. Like I said, because of the, the lividity and the way that, right. you know, the pooling, she's, she's un, undressed and I guess to be, carrying a dead body through the streets, you know, even late at night would, you would think would arouse some, mm -hmm. some degree of suspicion or someone calling in. Mm -hmm. But um, most importantly, the, the fact that the lividity was consistent with her being at that location yeah. from the and, time of death. And what does that mean, lividity? Once you die, the body goes through various stages. You know, the blood flow stops and it settles. So if... Uh, you were to be found laying here and the lividity had settled into certain portions, you know, it, there's 
there's evidence to support that. And how was the scene left after her body was removed? How long did you stay there? Did you see it through until the body was removed? I'm not sure that I stayed for that part. I may have been assigned to do uh, follow-up interviews with the immediate family. Okay. And is it just my, like, uh, like <laughs> thinking about this through uh, movie, uh, you know, the movie world? Was there crime tape up? Was there, like, do not, cr like, any sort of... I don't believe we were into crime tape at that era. <laughs> okay. Um, Was the window locked back up, I guess? Yeah. Once we were done, yeah. uh, the apartment was secured. Secured, okay. Okay, so anybody who would go back in there would have to have a key or break in. Right. Okay. Yeah, so I guess what, what kind of stuff do you guys talk about when you yeah. um, hop on the phone or, or get together? Um, I guess just different things where I'll read a, you know, read a report from back then. I know I've asked Tom for, like, clarification. You know, the, I guess terms are, are not always the same then as they are now. Like, what we'll the way we'll write something up or the way that we go about, you know, doing something. Um, there's names, there's names in there that are sometimes like nicknames or, um, you know, abbreviations that'll be like, Oh, yeah. you know, who, who was this or what was this, you know, person he's steered me towards, you know, who that was or, or, uh, or a name will pop up and I'll say, you know, whatever happened with this person was that like, Oh yeah, we, we talked to him. We, you know, we'd follow that up that they were, you know, alibi or whatever the, you know, the case may be. The access to find people with us is a lot easier. We master name in our, in our system. So you put a name in a date of birth, you could find out where they lived and that. And, 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 and you know, then he didn't have a lot of that mm -hmm. technology. So it's, it's nice to find somebody who actually knows maybe who this person is, yeah. you yeah. know. Yeah. When you were getting reports back then and, and uh, people were calling in with, statements and maybe there was other departments in the state that had uh, similar crimes um, did you how do you reach out like in 1980 how do you how do you find out about other other district or other counties and well there would have been a teletype message which was our means of communication with other police agencies I have no idea what that is okay <laughs> it's quite archaic it's in today's like world <laughs> it, 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 it was texting of that area. What it was is, is it, you would go on an in-house telecommunication system, which was called teletype. Uh, you, there were various categories of crimes that fit, and you put your crime in there. In this particular case, was a homicide, and you put in as much information as, as you could to, you know, jolt other agencies to, do we have something like this? Do we have a person that could be of interest to Saratoga Springs Police. Mm -hmm. uh, and from that, yes, we did get some responses. We did explore some other people who had been arrested for like crimes. Um, you say like crimes? Yeah, you know, homicides with unusual happenings. Yeah. Uh, like post-mortem stuff? Things like that. Uh, you know, you, you probably know, you know some of these other things like the, the initial killer the from the killer, yeah. other coast and, you know, things like that, which... That was considered in view of our Saratoga Springs and yeah. mm -hmm. Sheila Shepard.
Okay, Lance, so that was the interview, or the first part of the interview with investigator Tom Mitchell. Definitely a, uh, a great guy to talk to, but uh, you kind of n- hit the nail on the head what you said in the intro that, uh, you know, he kind of treated us like um, like press, like typical press uh, after, you know, once the cameras started rolling. But, you know, no disrespect to him. I, I understand his process. He's been trained to do such. Yeah. And he was totally uh, gracious when um, we weren't recording. He, I mean, he was gracious when we were recording. But this is a—he's a super nice guy. He's—he did many, many years with law enforcement, and he still currently works with them on fire investigations. So he's not uh, getting out of that mentality anytime soon. Uh, I was really uh, sort of taken aback by how comfortably we slipped into the role of asking him questions i think at some point there's a moment where and i can't pinpoint exactly what this moment was but when it was realized that he wasn't going to be giving us exactly what we wanted uh, in a forthcoming way so we had to shift and i remember kind of sweating for a little while and then just shifting into this other other mode of i guess now i'm just gonna have to pretend like i'm an investigator questioning a suspect or something <laughs> right we we're trying to get the information from him yeah pry it from him uh because uh yeah there was a little bit of a game uh being played obviously that's kind of what happens with media and uh and someone you know us being the media in this case yeah and it's also a testament to his professionalism sure and the case itself, the integrity of the case. He still wants to maintain that, and he is very guarded about who he shares the information with because he probably has so much information that could put somebody to jail for this, he just can't connect the dots yet, and he's not going to give it all up to you and I right away, even though we are the the next Woodward and Bernstein. <laughs> we are Douchewood and Turdstein. That is, oh, yes, I misspoke. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tom Mitchell has a lot of clear information. He's obviously evidence-based. He's not going to give you uh, his really his thoughts on it or his speculation. He's just going to give you the facts. And like that's up to us to do, which is why we're here in this outro, uh, quite frankly. Um, one thing I found really interesting, Lance, is that in, I think it was episode six, in this series, we spoke about how we believe it's possible Sheila's killer went back to her apartment um, later that week. And we found out in this um, interview with uh, Mr. Tom Mitchell that there was, I think, a co- only a few days later, maybe three days later. And Tom said it was, quote, unfounded um, about someone going back to the apartment. He said, we found no evidence of that. But I want to be clear, that doesn't exactly mean that it didn't happen. He just said we found no evidence of that. Right. It's unfounded. We found no evidence of it. Uh, what we do know is that there there is a account of what appears to be a flashlight moving through Sheila's apartment after she's murdered in the days after. And we do know that photographs were missing and we do know that the keys were found across the street. We're just trying to, to put together maybe a possible scenario and we're trying to, you know, we're not trying to force it together, but there's an account and there's things missing and there's, I guess, in our heads, Maybe some credible, I guess, evidence that there there would be somebody in there, there or there was somebody in there. Whether it was a killer or not, who knows? But who else would it be? Yeah, landlord maybe. I don't know. But at, it was around midnight, I think. So that that's a bit uh, peculiar for sure. Yeah, that's just one of the things that uh, Tom didn't really want to get into. Another thing was um, the Cool Whip uh, when when that came up. 
So there was a Cool Whip type substance that was found um, on, I believe, some silverware and on a plate in Sheila's sink. So that might come into play later. We're really not sure that uh, perhaps connects to a person of interest. Um, but Tom really wasn't giving us that information right now, but it could be relevant later. Yeah, right. There was a little bit of relevance there, possible relevance there, but he also said that this may be like Ajax or something that would clean uh, silverware, clean dishes, like a residue, left it open for the interpretation. Uh, And again, like you said, this is something that may come into play later. And I thought it was interesting that Tom said uh, the alibi, quote, relieved the estranged husband. Um, So that would be uh, Sheila's ex-husband, who we spoke about in some of the last episodes, especially with um, Sheila's aunt, Terry, who um, sort of believes that uh, he might have been responsible. And so we kind of debate that. But it is interesting to hear Tom really, you know, impressed by the alibi. So it does sound like... Tom Mitchell doesn't think uh, Sheila's ex-husband had anything to do with this. Right. I mean, the alibi is pretty rock solid if the timeline that has been established right at 1980, right in that time frame when when she was murdered, if that that is rock solid, then yes, uh, Shep, her ex-husband, has a airtight alibi. Um, I would say that there's no real chance that he would be able to make that journey and perform that act and, and... and and get back to some location that was safe for him. Uh, but that's if the timeline is rock solid. Uh, I don't know if Tom has actually considered Sheila maybe killed outside of that timeline. Yeah, I would, I would bet he's probably considered a lot. So I don't know. For whatever reason, he is um, pretty, it sounds pretty convinced about uh, the ex-husband alibi. So... Um, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll certainly go with it. It does sound like the other investigators, uh, Callahan and Wilson also, um, believe that, but I think, uh, they obviously don't want to be disrespectful to Sheila's family who maybe believes that, uh, that Shep was responsible. And finally, Lance wanted to bring up the alphabet murders that was uh, discussed briefly in this episode. There were a span of three murders from November 16th, 1971 to November 26th, 1973 in New York. Um, The killer is unapprehended as far as we know. There is some speculation that people believe it's a guy named Joseph Nasso. Um, but interesting, right around Rochester, New York is where these murders happened, and the victims were double-initialed, uh, people. So Sheila Shepard would fit into that if, uh, if this guy or this killer, uh, killed Sheila, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to look at Sheila Shepard from Saratoga Springs and not connect it to the alphabet murders. The victims in the alphabet murders were Carmen Cologne, Wanda Walkowitz, and Michelle Manza. And they were also killed during, like you said, from November 16th, 1971 to November 26th, 1973. So if you're looking at all of the connections here with the alphabet murder, you do have the double letters in both Sheila's name and the town and the time frame. She was discovered on November 25th, so she was killed around the same time frame as these people, too, these other young women. Yeah, anywhere from about seven to nine years later or something like that. Um, But I would say the biggest difference here is the age of these victims. They're all 10 or 11, and Sheila was um, an adult. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, Tim, because I was considering that as well. You have these young girls, they're 10 or 11 years old, 
and you have nine years that pass. And I was wondering if if we were to consider this person to be the same person who kills Sheila Shepard, did he grow up as as uh, as his victims would have? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a fair point. The only other thing I'd add is that um, Rochester is about three and a half hours away um, of a drive, about 221 miles away from uh, Saratoga Springs. So obviously not impossible for uh, the killer to have moved. Um, But uh, yeah, it it seems like a a different situation to me. But there are some similarities with um, ligatures and uh, and things like that. And apparent sexual motivation. Uh, There was no obvious sexual abuse to Sheila Shepard. However, she was stripped naked and tied to a bed. Whether that was done post-mortem or not, there would be a suggestion of something similar with the with the tying, with the with the binding and, and also with the apparent sexual motivation. But it's really hard to not look at the alphabet murders when you're talking about Sheila Shepard from Saratoga Springs, same state, same time of the year, late November. Thank you very much, everybody. We will be back soon with more. And stay healthy and sanitized and wash your hands.